whether it was the pandemic in the start of 2020 or what's going on in the outside world right now, there's no way around it. Buying MarTech has changed. And we figured it, no one would probably know better than a salesperson. So we brought on first and hopefully last time guest, Kevin Young. Kevin is a senior director of sales at Metadata, and he's been selling MarTech for the last six years. So he actually knows quite a bit. Prior to Metadata, he was working at G2. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. All right, so Kevin, I think we probably need to lay some ground rules and put in place before we actually get moving on this thing. Uh, this is not a roast. You can roast me uh, here and there, but this is not some you know Comedy Central roast that you've probably been waiting for the second that I asked you to come on the podcast. Noted. <laughs> uh, so let's first things first. Just introduce yourself. I know people probably know you as the thought leader on LinkedIn, um, but give us a little bit of background about you because uh, you are the first salesperson that we've had on the podcast. It's an honor. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. I've been doing this for quite a while, uh, as you could probably see by a lot of the gray hair that I've developed from working with marketers like you. Uh, selling for uh, 13 years now. Uh, after going to school for finance, which obviously went really well, uh, and <laughs> I didn't even came know to that. fruition. Yeah, yeah. Listen, uh, I can count. Believe it or not. Uh, so I've kind of covered all the traditional stops in Chicago tech, uh, starting at Groupon, uh, slinging coupons, uh, then Salesforce, where I think I sort of actually became a sales professional instead of just uh, slinging coupons. Uh, <laughs> uh, spent some time at a spectacularly failed agency. Uh, for a brief time, and then uh, went over to G2, as you mentioned. Uh, while at G2, with part of the, the group that rolled out the intent data solution there, uh, and so obviously I'm familiar with not only the benefits of it, but some of the uh, the shortcomings of a tool like that. Uh, and that led us to metadata, where we discovered uh, a tool that started with a way to operationalize things like intent data and, and ultimately turned into something quite a bit more than that. So uh, that leads us to today. I was uh, one of the original handful of sellers here, uh, and then officially took over full-time uh, running part of the team this year in 2022. And uh, we'll see how it goes. So I want to talk about your experience at G2 a little bit first, but one thing that is not in the outline right now, so this is unplanned, there's kind of an interesting story about how you all found out about metadata while you were at G2, right? There is. Uh, and there is uh, one of the other sort of early salespeople here, uh, a fellow by the name of Danny Reed, who uh, is also pretty active on LinkedIn. Some of you people watching might know him. Uh, he was trying to sell G2 to Metadata and our CEO, Gil. So he really was one of uh, the biggest entryways into this relationship. Beyond that, uh, a person I know you're obviously intimately familiar with, Adam Goyette, who I believe has been that, a guest here. Was, yeah, that was the, the, the story that I was thinking of. I forgot about the other story. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, I think they're both super important and relevant. Uh, Adam, you know, I don't like to give him a lot of credit for things, but I just, I suppose he deserves uh, deserves it for this. Uh, really realized how to maximize the value from a tool like metadata outside of just the intent data piece, right? Like he was like all other marketers trying to figure out how do I unlock other channels besides LinkedIn? Um, and so when he started utilizing metadata, he saw such tremendous uplift on channels like Facebook that he put out a blog post that really sort of blew up, basically saying, we use metadata to turn Facebook into LinkedIn. Um, that was when I, as a salesperson or a sales manager at G2, became aware of metadata for the first time, really, uh, because our customers started talking about it. And that, G2 tried to acquire metadata. They said no. So we said, all right, we'll come over there. Let's, 
Can't get rid of us that easily. <laughs> I love it. Now, when you were at G2, you were selling, uh, was it intent data like as a standalone product or was it that plus something else? So a funny question. When we started, we were selling profiles for whatever people would give us for. Okay. That's, that's uh, what I thought. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. give us that story. Bucks, and then we'll, I'm give gonna, yeah. we'll give you a brand new profile. Uh, what started as really a uh, owning your presence on G2, basically an ability to uh, manage your page in a, a more custom way and also an ability to uh, interact with your customers. So respond to reviews, things like that. That was our primary offering. Once we had added the intent data layer on, it initially started as people who were reading your own reviews, which obviously is super high intent. You and I don't spend a lot of our free time just reading software reviews for fun. Um, it, well, you might, but uh, <laughs> with that expanded into competitive uh, categories and things like that. So you could know, hey, this person's evaluating our type of solution, but not us. How do we get a seat at that table? Um, so that was never a standalone product. It was all part of a package deal. We then layered, layered in content and things like that. But intent data in itself has become a standalone product. I mean, as you know, we, we've used things like Bombora. And now we're massive, massive fans of Qualified over here. Uh, so we never sold it as a standalone. I'm not sure if they're doing that now, but I'd be surprised if they were, but it is certainly uh, outside of G2, its own product. And I think, you know, from my own perspective, it now has come a long way and it's probably a little easier to sell intent data these days. But when you were selling it back then, like what did that sales process look like? And, you know, how are you trying to, you know, convince people that, hey, this is something that you need and you can use well? The last part of what you just said, I think, is the important part. And what I mean by that is, I don't think anybody denies that intent data is inherently valuable. The, the value of knowing somebody who is actively engaging in uh, an activity that indicates they're likely to be buying right now or about to enter a buying cycle, it's invaluable. There's no doubt about it. The problem comes in when you layer in things like GDPR and privacy laws and things like that. If you're selling to a company with over, I don't know, 100 employees, now what? Right, like somebody reads your reviews on G two and you sell to the enterprise, what are you supposed to do? Pick up your SDR, picks up the phone and calls IBM and says like, "Hey, somebody was reading our reviews. Can I talk to them?" So there was a gap, right? And metadata filled part of it, but also uh, I think the ability to understand exactly the role intent data plays uh, it was equally as important. It's no longer an end all be all. It's another piece of information that marketers are using, that sales teams are using to help them understand where to prioritize their time, to where to focus their efforts and frankly, focus their money. Because I think at first, I'm going off of maybe what I used to think about it in the early days, but many people thought, myself included, that it was a, like the end-all be-all product and all you needed was that and it was going to magically solve your issues. And I think what I very quickly realized was you still have to know what to do with it and <laughs> how to actually operationalize it. Yeah. Look, what I would add to that is, uh, it, it coincided with this whole blow up of ABM. Like we've talked about uh, nonstop here and we have those awesome t-shirts that, that are almost mock the fact that ABM has become such a buzzword that everybody just defines differently now. And so when you, when you have this ABM mindset where all of the thought leaders and marketing are talking about why they should be doing ABM and don't get me wrong, ABM is the right way to do marketing. It's, it's focusing your efforts around the accounts that are most likely to buy from you. Uh, it's, it's obvious that it's a good course of action. Uh, when you layer in this intent data piece, it allows you to get even more focus. Okay. These are the thousand accounts that we want to do business with. Here are the 150 who have actually 
shown some activity that leads us to believe that they might be willing to consider us and why that's so important. Look, I think I'm a pretty darn good salesperson. I think most of the people who sell here are not Troy, but everyone else. Um, the, uh, actually, hold on. I think you've, uh, you refer to yourself as an elite salesman, just so everyone else knows. Look, I'm uh, talking to marketers. I want to be modest as most salespeople are, uh, but thank you for saying that. Uh, I think what happens here is uh, we have this idea of maybe the top 100 accounts, blah, 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 uh, who are showing activity. But as I tell my team, as I tell any salesperson who will listen, I don't care how good you are, 90% of this job is luck and timing. It's just the reality of it. And so that's why things like activity, which I roll my eyes at, uh, you know, sales managers who live and die by activity dashboard, because that's not what I mean. But I do mean staying in front of people consistently so that when you are top of mind, they think of you. That is important. So intent data, yes, it's great. But just because somebody shows intent and you sell that type of product doesn't mean they're taking your phone call. If that's the first time they've ever heard from you, you're probably still well behind the eight ball. And if you are, by the time you're seeing those intent signals, they're usually already at the point in that consideration phase of the market. Oh, it's already way too late. There. That's right. They're probably narrowing down their decision between two or three vendors right now and just trying to figure out which of those they're going to go with. If you now sneak in the back and like, hey, look at us, it's probably a, a lost cause. So I want to talk about metadata a little bit and less about like how you sell you know, metadata and the specifics behind it, but more so how you have sold MarTech when you got to metadata. So when you first arrived, there was a little thing called the pandemic uh, that, you know, completely changed the world as we know it. And more importantly, it also cut every single marketer's budget. So how were you talking to buyers during that time frame? Because, you know, I told you this before, I'll pump your tires a little bit. Like your sales calls are very good and your sales approach works. So like, how were you talking to them? How did you get people to buy? How are you creating urgency? Like, let's unpack that. Yeah, urgency is... Uh... It's tough. There's not a whole lot you can do to create urgency. Now you can highlight it. You can help people understand that, you know, not every decision has to be a six month conversation, but the reality is, as I said earlier, 90% of the job is luck and timing. And so timing, for example, right now is a lot different than it was even just a few short months ago for a couple of reasons. One, all of you are in budget season right now. So you're either out of money, trying to figure out how much money you're going to have for the rest of the year, trying to figure out how much you're going to have for next year with all of this pending uncertainty. I won't dare say unprecedented times. Uh, uh, so the conversation now is, is even drastically different from the conversation just a few months ago. When I started, my first week, quite literally, my first week was the week if, you, if the folks listening to this remember when Tom Hanks got COVID and everyone was like, oh shit, this is real. Uh, that was my, I'll never, year. I'll never forget that. Yeah. yeah. And it was, uh, I, was it the same night that all the, um, the major sports leagues had said, Hey, was it was like a Wednesday, I think. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, America's dad got COVID and everyone went, hold on. This is the real thing. <laughs> um, so how do you sell? Uh, we did what everybody else did at metadata. We, we tightened the belts. We said, look, we were pre series a at this point. Um, uh, here's how much money we have. Here's our burn rate. Here's how long we think that buys us. We're going to do our best to get through this and, and hopefully not have to make a lot of tough decisions. But if this goes on X amount of time, at the time it was, you know, two weeks to flatten the curves, so that worked out. Uh, 
uh, if this goes on for longer than we anticipate, these are the things that might need to happen. And I've always, since that time, really appreciated the level of transparency. And, and I bring this up because it's relevant to your question uh, about how how selling has changed over the course of that time. Uh, when I started selling metadata, you could sell the product and people would buy it. Uh, this is the first, you know, we talked about this new campaign that we've rolled out. And uh, I said in my first few weeks after my first couple of demos, this is the first product I've ever sold in my life where on a demo, somebody has responded and and multiple people have responded with some version of holy shit. Uh, they were blown away. And so early on, people would buy the product because the product was cool. But there's the reality and, and just sort of the history of time and behavioral psychology tells you that that's not really why people buy. People buy primarily to fix a problem that they're currently having or to prevent a problem that they know is going to happen in the future. So just selling metadata and how great it is doesn't accomplish either of those things. Uh, how we had to pivot was basically starting the conversation with some version of like, where are you at? Uh, from a business standpoint, are you are you completely uh, strapped right now? Have you frozen budgets? And at least half the people said, yeah, we're, we're on a budget freeze. The, the normal way to, or the normal way that most salespeople would respond to that question is like, well, when did, you know, how long do you think that's going to last? But the real question was, was some version of like, well, what are you doing in the meantime to ensure business isn't stopped because you're on a budget freeze? And that's when you get into the weeds in these conversations. That's when you hear people who look, I'm not, uh, immune to knowing how off-putting a lot of salespeople can be. I promise you I've been that uh, many, many times. Uh, but I think part of it is because marketers in particular feel like they're always being sold to by us. And when you have a conversation that starts with some version of like, so what now? Uh, you'll see people relax their shoulders a bit. You'll see people take a breath and sort of think like, yeah, what now? And then you just talk. Now you have an honest conversation about like, you know, Kevin, I don't know. I don't know how we get from here through the end of this year with no extra dollar. We've cut our digital ad spend. Uh, we're not buying any new tech right now. We're not allowed to hire. So what you're telling me is that I have to hit this number with none of the resources I was given to do it. Now we're having a conversation. This is a long-winded answer, but I think the, the point is how selling change uh, is that the people who are performing right now are the ones that are having honest conversations. And that goes both ways. I can assure you that I'm not asking people if they're on a budget freeze because I'm trying to backdoor them into an ROI somehow. I'm trying to figure out if they're if they're in a position where uh, you know they're not going to be in this job for a while. Uh, which, by the way, that's why we started the, the metadata demand gen job board is because there were so many people who were looking for work that we said, "Hey, we talk to everybody in this industry. Let's help." Um, so to, to summarize this very very long answer, as I am prone to do. Selling change. You said uh, it, not me. Yeah. Well, I'll, uh, I said it because I haven't stopped talking for five minutes. Uh, the, the summary, and I think a really, really awesome silver lining that has come from the last two and a half years is that selling has become a hell of a lot more transparent because it had no other choice. And just as a reminder for everybody listening, like the, the goal for this episode is not to one, pitch slap you or two, get you to buy metadata. It's really trying to arm you with like the types of things from sales perspective that helps you have better conversations with them. Cause Kevin and I were talking about this beforehand, like those good conversations that you are having with marketers, like what do those conversations look like? What are the types of questions that they're asking? Like your approach is 
I would say more transparent than anyone I've ever, you know, worked with before, but it works. It's, um, I'm not suggesting this is easy, by the way. Uh, and it part of, part of it is PTSD from what we talked about before, right? How many times have you been asked what your average deal size is only for some dumb sales rep to say like, so if you just close one more deal this year, you'll get your money back. But great job, everyone. Um, <laughs> This is not easy. I'm not suggesting that every call is going to go perfectly. And it's, I can assure you it doesn't. What I am suggesting is this. If you're agreeing to take a 30-minute intro call or discovery call with a salesperson, you're not doing it because you like the sales guy or because you are just infatuated with metadata uh, or, or Mark on LinkedIn, as we actually hear far too often. Uh it's because most likely there is something going on that you are, whether you are aware of it or not, you are deep down looking for something to help. Um, so my advice to marketers is if you don't want to, if you don't want to be in that conversation, don't be, I promise you salespeople have built up such tremendous calluses by being told to go to hell, you know, six times a week. You're not going to hurt our feelings. If anything, it's worse when you seem genuinely interested in what we're doing because Here's something that you will be surprised to know. We actually do give a shit. Look, maybe I didn't when I was 24 and I was slinging Groupons. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sell to whoever wants to give me their credit card. But the, especially now, you're sitting here talking. I'm in my bedroom because my wife has the office. Like you, people are, people have their kids running around in the bathroom, uh, in the back uh, room behind them, or a dog barking in the back. I'm like, this is a human experience now. And in order for this relationship to work, it should be human on both sides. So if I ask you a question or a salesperson asks you a question that you're uncomfortable with, call it out um, and either give them the opportunity to, to pull their foot out of their mouth or give them the opportunity to explain why it is they're asking that question. Because I assume you're on this call to solve a problem and genuinely the person on the other end of that call wants to help if they kiss. So... When we were preparing for this, you mentioned a, uh, it was a recent conversation that you had had and you asked, I think straight up, what was the problem you were trying to solve? And the initial answer that they gave, you were kind of like bullshit and you unpacked it and like kind of tell that story. Cause I thought it was a great story and it was super transparent. It, this is the pivot that I took, uh, probably about six months into selling a metadata because of necessity, right? Like, because the same type of sales process wasn't working. And so I basically just started asking people, fine. You don't want to do that, but why are we here then? Uh, what is it that we're trying to solve for? If we could do it, great. If not, no problem. I'll point you uh, in the right direction. Uh, so I was having this conversation the other day uh, with, I, would, I joined a call with one of my uh, AEs and we're hearing just a lot of your typical, like, yeah, you know, we're looking to improve our lead to MQL conversion rates and all like the surface level stuff that, that people talk about. It's not that that's not real. It's just not really what the problem is. So in this particular example, the person on the other end of the phone who was a CMO, a CEO actually, uh, responded by saying, we really need better visibility into our reporting. And I, I sort of took a beat and, you know, 99% of sales reps, myself included, I almost did, would start talking about how great metadata's reporting functionality is. But now that I'm so old and grizzled and I've, I've done this for so long, you know that the surface level response is very rarely the actual problem that's going on. Another good example is like, hey, we need more leads. Sure, everybody wants more leads. But like, why? Why are you, why are you saying you need leads? Is it because you missed a number? Is it because you have lofty goals for next year and, and less budget to do it? Um, so when this person, the CEO, told me that their biggest 
priority or biggest problem they were having was reporting visibility. I stopped the call and I go, respectfully, I find it very hard to believe that the biggest problem you're facing as a business is your visibility and your reporting. Like what, what's really going on? What problems is that causing that led you, a CEO, to take a call with a sales rep today? An intro call, nonetheless. And then he went on about a five-minute, uh, uh, what felt like a therapy session about how, yeah, the, the reporting is sort of the, the, the visible aspect of the real problem underneath. I hate to use too many cliches, but it really is like the tip of the iceberg, right? The top of the iceberg is the reporting problems. What's underneath is everything that is causing it. It's the siloed data. It's the uh, the systems not speaking to themselves. It's the uh, attribution models, which you know is different for everybody. So and made up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shut it. I'm in. Uh, <laughs> the reality is, and that's why earlier I said this is for everybody's benefit when we ask these kind of questions because he was happy that we asked that follow-up question. Because if we just sat there for the next 20 minutes and tried to solve for his reporting problem, who knows if we would have actually addressed the real problem. So to tie this back to the last question you asked, Mark, it doesn't have to be so hard. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that every salesperson you talk to is inherently good and and genuinely wants what's best for you. I'm just telling you that most of us do. And you're, you're all pretty smart. You work with salespeople regularly, and I think you probably know who are the good ones and who are not the good ones, and use your judgment. And the people you could tell are having an honest conversation with you, give them the information they're asking. Because number one, if they have something that can help, I think that's genuinely what you want. Now, whether or not you can afford it or, or it fits into your stack is another conversation. But if they have something that can help, I think it's worth talking about. But if they don't, do you really want to keep doing this song and dance? Like if you hate talking to sales reps because you feel like you're being sold to, why would you want to keep doing that if you already know it's not a good fit? So the honesty benefits both parties, uh, but make sure that you feel comfortable sharing the information. And if you don't, call it out just like the salesperson did, like the example I gave. Be like, hey, I'm not sure why you're asking that question. Let them tell you. And I think for me, like, I feel shitty for saying this, but, you know, three, four, five years ago, I would play the song and dance because I just, you know, felt bad either letting them down or just telling them that, hey, you know, this is not a priority for me right now. So I think it changed a little bit at my last company and then definitely at Metadata. It's like, I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. I'm going to put all of my cards on the table and tell you as much information as I can share. And it leads to way better conversation. So like, are you seeing more marketers taking that approach now? Because that's how we buy whenever we're talking to, you know, other MarTech companies. Without a doubt. Um, I, I've talked about silver lining that has come from the last two and a half, three years. This is one of them, right? I think we're able to now prioritize things that matter uh, and and just deprioritize things that don't. So when I hear people talking about, you know, uh, what what would previously be an annoyance, like if you're if there was a dog barking in the background of a call three, three years ago, somebody would be like, can, can you go on mute, please? Uh, like... You were so perturbed that somebody dare have, uh, you know, any life outside of that conversation. Nowadays, it's part from the course. Like, hey, sorry, Amazon's at my door. I'll be right back. Um, and I, that's not just for salespeople, right? Like, this has injected humanity into our conversations. So from a marketing standpoint, I hate to, you know, give you this kind of credit, but y'all are very busy too. Uh, and, and probably even more so than salespeople because you are at the behest of several different departments of the company, whereas we kind of work for ourselves, if you will, make our own schedules. Um, 
So I think marketers and and people who are on the buying side of conversations are feeling a little bit more empowered, to be honest, because we have no other choice. Like I said, before this call, if you want uh, some inside baseball here, uh, I asked Mark if there's a way to blur the back of my screen because I had an iron sitting on top of my dresser. So what am I going to do? Sit here and pretend like this conversation is the same that we were having three years ago? There's no point in faking it, right? If you're not if you're not comfortable with the conversation, if you're not really interested in what this person has to offer, I promise you're not going to hurt their feelings because their dog's probably scratching at them to go outside, or uh, you know Amazon buzzing their uh, their their door to let them in. They got plenty going on too. So uh, trust that that you could be honest with us. And I think kind of a perfect example of that is a pre-pandemic, pre-everything that's going on, which we'll talk about here in a second. I would tell, I'd blow smoke up, you know, some AE's ass and say, hey, follow up with me in, you know, Q1 2023 or follow up with me in six months or whatever. And that was just a cop-out answer. Whereas now I'll say, hey, this is not a priority for me right now. I will follow up with you when it is a priority. And I'm not going to name names, but like we have bought tools when I went immediately back to that AE, however long it took to follow up with them. And like it happened. So I, I think both sides of it is it, it just, that makes for a, like a, a sales cycle with way less friction than there needs to be 100%. when you just, you know, keep lying and kicking the can down the road. Well, look, uh, it's, it's wild to me that you would tell somebody to follow up with you in three months if you have absolutely no interest in three months uh, or, or as little interest in three months as you do right now. And I'm not, I'm not saying you, everybody does this. Oh, we've because, all done it. Uh, and, and here's an easy fix for you, by the way. If you are not interested in this product, you could tell them I'm not interested in this product. If they ask why, from my standpoint, give them something. Give them, offer a little something as to like, hey, you took the call. Thanks for telling me you're not interested. What is it that makes you think like this isn't the right fit? Give them a little something. You are under no obligation to be interrogated by a sales rep or like an SDR who's trying to ask you to justify why you don't want to buy their solution. Don't ever feel like you need to. If you offer a response and they want to keep beating this horse, you are free to ignore us as much as you want. I think it's just common decency to, to fire off like you did. Hey, not right now. Uh, and if they ask why, give them a little something if you have time. Uh, similarly, from a sales standpoint, if somebody says follow up in three months, and I know that most people who listen to us aren't salespeople, but uh, I want to give you a little context over the other side too. If somebody says follow up in three months, my response to that generally is not uh, like, why, why is it that's a priority now? Or uh, another popular thing is like, what changes in three months? Which actually is a really good question. It's like, what? I, it, what I is... think I saw within the last couple of days you like a post about that on LinkedIn, and I was like, this answer is unreal. Now, look, I'll, I'll be candid in that it's a little salesy. My question, when I ask that question, it's intended to unpack. It's essentially intended to call your bluff, right? Is there actually something in the future that makes this more? real or makes us a higher priority? Or are you just doing what you described earlier and kicking the can down the road? Either way is fine, by the way, but you'd be surprised at the amount of people who are really just saying that because they they don't know if they want us or they think it'll take six months to roll us out and, uh, and all this other justification for not talking now. That's a kind of a salesy question. However, from a sales standpoint, if you want to just have a real human interaction like we've been talking about today, Here's a really good way to answer the contact me in three months. Understood. Uh, thank you for the feedback. I'll reach out to you January, uh, December, January, if that's cool. Would it be okay with you if I reached out in the meantime, just if I find anything that I think you would find? 
valuable. Nobody says no to that. Not a single person in my experience has ever said no to that. And what this is doing now, again, 90% of this job is timing, is you are staying in front of this person. And guess what? If I send you something that you go, holy shit, this is actually something that's topical for me right now. Why don't I give Kevin a call? That's how this job goes. It ain't by tricking people into taking calls with you or making holding them hostage to something they said three months ago. It's by just having real conversations and providing enough value that they actually want to take your phone call instead of avoiding you like a debt collector. Yeah, no. And there's, there's times that that has worked, you know, perfectly as intended on me when it's, Hey, this is exactly in my wheelhouse. I was thinking about this or I was trying to find content on it and Hey, this is helpful. And sure enough, the first person that I then email whenever the time is right is that same person who sent that to me. So it works. Now we've talked a lot about, uh, G2, coming to metadata in the pandemic, how you've sold metadata since you've been here. We can't ignore the elephant in the room, which is what's going on in the outside world right now. So like, let's just talk about maybe how those conversations have changed, like the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, and you know, what people are asking about and interested in right now. It's unprecedented times, uh, <laughs> which he says all the time in internal slack. So yeah. I don't want to <laughs> let people think he's, uh, he's above unprecedented times. Yes, I'm above nothing. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is different and it's different because when this whole talk of recession started, uh, people sort of said, uh, 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 I'm not doing this again. You know, we froze our budgets uh, and everything worked. The world didn't end. Um, and I really like that. I think that, you know, the pandemic created some resilience in people, which was necessary. Uh, we're all soft in my mind. Uh, and and so at first people started saying like, eh, well, recession never hurt anybody. Now, the people who obviously are taking hits, uh, big hits, everyone, people are wisely you know, trimming fat and making sure that they're they're in a position to to last. But they're the companies who have taken big hits are the ones who were bloated to begin with. You know, it was self-inflicted wounds. But that leaves us with the people in between. The people who are just day to day doing the right things, you know, uh running an efficient business and just frankly have no idea what's coming because nobody does. Uh there is no there is no uh, precedence for what we are about, in my opinion, to walk into. No, I think things are going to get ugly. Uh, but nobody really is talking about that. And I'm not saying that I'm right or that they should be talking about it or anything like that. What I'm saying is that there's really no new information day by day. Whereas before we had updates by the minute of, you know, this amount of people are sick and these are the states where it's getting crazy and the countries and all that. We're just waiting to find out if the other shoe is going to drop. And so how this contributes to conversations, it's a lot longer deal cycles. And I think that's perfectly valid. Now, I don't agree necessarily that it should, but I do think it is much more reasonable for somebody to say, look, I would love to implement this right now. We just don't know what our budget is going to be for next year until we get closer to the end of the year and figure out what exactly next year even looks like. Um, so longer deal cycles, I'm, I'm noticing budget conversations, correct me if I'm wrong here, that usually take place sometime in like the September to November range. Um, if they're seemed... if they're on top of it, that's the right range. I think uh, that's what everyone aspires to do. Uh, now, how many people actually have those conversations in right. September, November is, you know, 
kind of remains to be seen. Sure. Well, look, I think regardless of when you have them, most companies I've talked to are having them later now. And it's because they're trying to wait and see, wait and see, wait and see. But again, we've been waiting and seeing for how long has this thing been going on? Four months, five months? Uh, and with no signs of, of getting any better. And like I said, I, it pains me to say, suspect it's going to get worse. I don't say that to be a doomsayer or, you know, because I think people need to shit or get off the pot. Now I say it because everybody needs to make a decision. Uh, and, and I'm not suggesting everything is your decision to make, or you have total control over budget. I don't mean a buying decision. I just mean, everybody as a company needs to make a decision of how are we going to handle business today? Uh, while we wait to find out what business looks like in the future. Uh, we, we can't necessarily continue sacrificing short-term gains uh, for the sake of potential long-term salvation. Uh, of course, investors feel otherwise and, and CFOs feel otherwise as they should. That's their job. Uh, but your job as somebody who lives in the day-to-day -day, is to keep the business up and running. And you can't do that with both of your hands tied behind your back. So from a marketer standpoint, ask yourself, what is the bare minimum I can, I, or what is the bare minimum I need to do my job? Make sure you have those bases covered. If you have leftover, let's talk. I don't mean us as in metadata, but no pitch have having. those conversations. Yeah, I mean, give, put my email, <laughs> like, and subscribe at the bottom of this. Uh, uh, if you have leftover and you have discretionary income and things like that, or you have goals changing for next year and you're not sure how you're going to attain them, have these conversations then. Make sure everything's good at home. And then if you have an ability to engage in these types of talks, that's when you should do it. But I don't think the move right here is sitting on our thumbs until if and when the other shoe drops. But what do I know? I'm just a dumb sales guy. <laughs> you said it, not me. Now, some of the, let's say, good conversations that you've been having recently are there anything uh, or is there anything you can draw from those good conversations as far as like, what are they interested in? What are the goals that they're talking about? Like I'm trying to help. Interest um, is a loose term. So like, are we talking about from a, a benefit standpoint or, or from an uh, industry standpoint? I would say, so let's use an example here. You know, somebody who's maybe in a late stage opportunity, who's considering buying metadata, who, you know, is doing well navigating this mess of an outside world and kind of knows what they should be looking for, what the right goals are for their business, like basically educated buyers right now. Like what are they doing that others can learn from? Good question. Uh, it took you 53 minutes to ask me a good question. Uh, <laughs> also, you can't do math because I'm looking at the timer right now. <laughs> smart water don't tell me uh, I think the people who are succeeding right now are being honest with themselves and here's what I mean by that uh, I, I'm sorry to tell you marketers who are listening to this but your current situation is not all that different from pretty much anybody else's current situation some of the nuts and bolts certainly are but what I mean by that is everybody who is listening to this has revenue goals Maybe you're only responsible for 20% of it or 40% of it, or maybe your job ends at SQL, but the end goal is the same. You are here to produce outcomes. And, and I think the people who are having the best conversations realize that, uh, that nothing they are personally dealing with or their company is dealing with is particularly unique. People, uh, people have a tendency to make themselves and their, their companies or, or things that they represent 
be a little bit more inflated than they than they really are. It's an ego thing for sure. It's the same thing when you ask somebody if they're the decision maker and they get wildly offended as though you're implying that they're not a CEO. How dare you? Uh, and that, of course, turns out they're not remotely close to being a decision maker. <laughs> um, so Been as there. we talked about before, yeah, I would never sell to you. Uh, as we talked about before, <laughs> the people who are willing to have honest conversation, just like those who are willing to tell you what their uh, you know, what their revenue shortcomings look like right now because they're trying to fix it. Those are the people doing well now because they're being honest about what their challenges are. Uh, they're being assertive enough to know that you can't just sit back and wait for life to happen to you. We need to continue doing our jobs. Uh, and and I think the the people who will continue having the best conversations are the ones who embrace like this relationship for what it is. Have a relationship with your salespeople, not just because that makes for better marketing, but because you will then have a better understanding of, of what salespeople care about, why they do the things that they do. So you recognize it when it happens to you. So the next time somebody asks you about your deal cycle, yeah, I got bad news. Some of them are assholes and they're trying to backdoor you into an ROI conversation. But some of them are trying to figure out if the, the bottom falls out of the economy in three months, are, is this still going to be a good investment for you? We, we can't know that by you telling us you need more leads. We can figure that stuff out by you telling us that uh, you need something to, to get you from X to Y. And here's your uh, here's the delta. Here's our budget. And we can either go, yeah, or nay. Those are the people who are going to do well in these conversations. But more importantly, I think those are the people who are going to do well in the next 12 to 18 months. I love that. Now. Kev, we're pretty much at time right now. This is one of the more, I would say, honest, transparent episodes that we've had. So I'm pretty Best, excited to see number one how, rated. yeah, we'll, we'll, the yeah. numbers we'll, we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, it'll just be yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be going into the Apple store and like downloading every single, <laughs> Download, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> but thank you for coming on Demandja and you, and we'll see everybody next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.